0: Hey, Darren. Come here. Thanks, guys. Hey, uh, so I put you on the spot. This is, Dar- this is Darren. He's on the spot. Say hi, Darren. And uh, the reason I'm coming after you, Darren, is uh, yesterday I was going to make some comments just about Milford Fest. And we were involved as a church in that. And it uh, was our mission. We're sent to love people, invite them to follow Jesus with us. It's not about here. It's about being out and if we're really serious about that, if we, we say it and we really mean it, we're going to be out and involved. And you and your wife have been out and involved in big ways. And I asked her if I could put you on the spot. And I said, I didn't want you to be prepared. I just wanted to come after really? you. I know, right? <laughs> so you can. nothing like. <laughs> there you go. But uh, yesterday you guys had kind of your soft launch of Harvest Coffee. Okay. And uh, tell us a little bit about what that journey has been like and how God's been stretching and building your faith.
1: Well, yeah, so if you didn't know already, uh, my wife Karina, along with other people, it's not just us, but uh, Mark and Wincy Jackson, Eric and Mandy Jackson, uh, Harvest with a Heart, <clears throat> we all are partnering together to reach out into the community, into the Milford community, to just meet people where they're at, try to connect people that may not know Jesus, and try to help them get connected with people that do know Jesus and to help provide needs uh, that they need. And, uh, <laughs> this is why he didn't tell me before. Exactly why I didn't tell you. <laughs> but I'll tell you this. Um, when this whole journey started, I said, this isn't, there's no way this is going to happen. My wife's been teaching for 18 years, three kids, and there's just no way that God is going to provide. And this is, this is not going to work. Well, most times in my life, it takes a brick to come along and hit me in the head a big brick and uh, God used it and I'll tell you what it's been exciting to see what God can do if you doubt God he's going to come up and he's going to hit you with a brick because I'll tell you what every need has been met all you have to do is ask for it and God will provide it I'm here to tell you don't doubt God and don't be afraid to ask Him, because you will All through scripture we've seen God use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. We're all ordinary people in this building. And God wants us to do extraordinary things. He does. Right here in Milford, Indiana, right where we stand, where we work, wherever we're at, God wants to use us. Answer Him and let Him do it. Because if you fight Him, you're going to get hit with a big brick. <laughs> Trust me. I know, and I've experienced it more than once. So you let God use you where you are. For your community, for your church, wherever you're at. Let him use you because that's what he wants to do and that's what we're called to be. We're called to be used by God in wherever we're at. And that's what we're doing. We're stepping out in faith as a couple, as friends, as family. To do what God wants us to do in our community. We're missionaries. That's what we are. Each and every one of us are missionaries. We've been called to do it. That's what we want to do. And that's what we're about. So, please, listen to God's voice. Don't be afraid. Because it's scary. Very scary. But I'll tell you what. The blessings from it are huge. Absolutely huge.
0: Amen. Part of, part of why I asked Darren to say something is so I don't have to preach. Now we can just go home.
1: We can go home now. Yeah, we can go home.
0: Um, but seriously, you guys have stepped out in faith in big ways. And uh, I've heard you express doubts. I've heard you express how God has opened doors that you never knew were going to be there. I know uh, people have doubted you and said you're crazy. Uh, Karina's quit her job. Um, it's like crisis. <laughs> Hey, what better way to fix it than with coffee, right? <laughs> coffee and chocolate and cookies. But um, listen, we're excited as a church to come alongside you. Um, it's been fun to watch this develop just over the last few months. And um, let me pray for you. Grand opening is, Next there's Friday. dedication Thursday night and then grand opening Friday, right? Yep. And uh, so you're all, is everybody invited? Friday night, 6.30 to 8. All right, Friday night, 6.30 to 8. You now have plans in downtown Milford. And uh, let me, let's pray for Darren and Karina. And, and there's more than you guys, though, because uh, who else from our church? Mark and Wincy. Mark and Wincy. And Eric and Mandy are in the nursery. Eric and Mandy in the nursery. And Harvest of the Heart. And Harvest of the Heart, Dwayne and Ann. And uh, I'm sure there's others too who are helping. So. Jeff. And Jeff, yeah, Jeff. Mr. Barista. <laughs> and uh, anyway, let's pray. Um, Father, thanks for Jesus and for what you're doing. And um, Lord, I pray that you would continue to grow our church and our outreach and our faith. Father, this is um, things you've put on my heart for years to see things like this happen and to see it happen now just recently within the last couple months come about as we prayed and sought you. And as Darren and Karina, as you've worked in their hearts and in the hearts of, of so many others who are coming alongside them and helping them. Um, would you continue to prove yourself to them and continue to use them and use each of us now to step out in faith and to trust you to reach our community, to reach people with the gospel, Father, um, we love you. Uh, enable us, show us the direction and make us willing to do whatever it is uh, to see that happen. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks. Give me a hand. So as I mentioned, uh, yesterday was Milford Fest in, in Milford and uh, this weekend, I think you saw an email got this week as my iPad kind of reboots here. Just quit on me. Um, so maybe, maybe that was the sermon. Oh, there it is. It came back up. All right. Um, but but, uh, but with, uh, with Milford Fest, you know there's more people in Milford this weekend. And I know we're, we're, we represent many more communities than just Milford. But our address is Milford. Um, and there are more people in town this weekend than any other time of the year. And by God's grace, we had the opportunity, our, our, our worship team. How many, who was there yesterday? And we were praising Jesus in the middle of Main Street in Milford. Pretty cool, huh? And uh, there are lots of people walking by who have no connection to our church, many who have no connection to Jesus Christ. Um, I, I, I'm glad you are there. Next year, I hope all of you are there. Um, also, tomorrow morning, we have a great opportunity to do that, too. If we're serious about mission, let's, let's get our butts out of the pews and in the streets. Amen? And um, if, if we're going to say it, do you remember what James said last week? Don't be just a, a hearer of the word. Be a doer. If, if, you're, if you're not going to put your faith in action, bag it up. Amen? So I'd love for you to come tomorrow and join us. 930 by Dollar General. We've been planning this. We've done this the last few years. We have just some uh, what I called You Are Love swag to hand out. And uh, some clips and bags and just stickers and stuff. Just to just tangibly to show people they're loved. And uh, maybe, by God's grace, that will create a connection one day. You never know how, they, how that might work, that they'd end up here to hear the gospel and to be reached. Amen? So I hope you can join us tomorrow morning. Another option for you, too, in terms of mission. I mentioned this last Sunday but uh, uh, during our meeting, but I, it might, got a, might have kind of got covered up. We're going to India. We asked a a group of people as a team to come along, uh, but I haven't heard confirmation from all of them yet, so we're still piecing that together. There may still be some spots available. We'll see. Um, uh, but either way, we hope to go back every couple years. So even if it's not this time, maybe it's another time. Uh, come talk to me. We'd love for you to, to go if, if that interests you. We've, we've built an orphanage in India. We've spent all, over a quarter million dollars in India over the last uh, eight to ten years, which is pretty cool. And uh, we support 60 boys there. And we've, we just recently, I, I, haven't, I need to get on Joab to get some pictures. Um, But we we gave money last fall, over $20,000, to build a church in India on the same property. And God's doing a lot of great things through our church. Amen? And so if you want to go, um, come talk to me. It's a a taxing trip. It's hard. Um, And so we're we're a little bit selective maybe on, on who we invite to go, things like that. But if you're interested, man, come tell me. And so we can at least know that and consider you as we move forward. Amen? So even today, maybe you'd come talk to me. Um, but right now, I'm going to invite you to something else, something a little awkward. Are you ready? It's, it's kind of awkward if you do it by yourself, but it's really awkward if we do it all together. So we're going to do it all together. Okay? In a little bit here, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to stick out your tongue and to hold it out for a little while. And if your neighbor thinks that's too awkward for them to do, just turn to them and stare at them with your tongue out. Are you ready? On the count of three. One, two, three. Okay, good. That's what we're talking about today is your tongue. We're talking about your tongue today. Um, so with that, James is talking about it, actually. And so we're going to talk about it. Let me pray, and we'll dive into the text in James chapter 3. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks for your grace to us. Thanks for the things that you uh, have been doing and are doing and will continue to do in our church. We praise you for that. And I trust you, Lord. Um, you brought me here 14 years ago. Uh, a young kid in his early 20s who knew nothing, and um, you've been faithful. And I, I trust you, Lord, to do great things in and through our church, and uh, it's your church. So we, we, we pray that. I pray today, Holy Spirit, you would help me and uh, control my tongue as I speak about uh, controlling our tongues. That's a, that's a big task. And uh, so I, I pray that you would do that today, and I pray against the enemy as servants, their works and effects. Uh, he would he, he's used so many times in so many churches and so many places, including here, to use sharp tongues to sharpen faces and to sharpen attitudes to where people get angry and divide. And uh, great glory is robbed from you, Jesus. Please don't let that happen here. Guide us today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So James chapter 3, and I'm just going to start off telling you the main point of what James has to say here in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 today. Here it is. Are you ready for it? Your tongue may be small, but it wields incredible power. Your tongue may be small, but it wields incredible power. Same with mine. In fact, it can do so both for life and encouragement of people, and it can bring life to people, or it can crush people, and it can bring death, and it can destroy relationships, and it can turn hearts from people. In fact, the Bible talks about it that way, where uh, when your tongue becomes sharp, <laughs> and and all throughout Scripture, whenever it, it says that, there's only maybe one exception where it talks about uh, your your face or your uh, a, a body part of yours becoming sharp. It's always in a negative sense. That you have a sharp tongue. That, that you look on someone with with, uh, with a sharpness in your spirit. The only exception, and I'm not quite sure it is, is the idea of iron sharpening iron. Because literally it talks about, uh, as iron sharpen iron, so one brother can sharpen the face of another. And there's, there's growing... Uh, there's growing evidence among biblical scholars that that's actually a negative thing. That you sharpen someone's face toward you if you're not careful, and our tongues are can be incredibly sharp. And while they're small, they're powerful. And so here's what James says. He says in James chapter three, verses one and two. We'll just start there. Not many of you uh, should become teachers, my brothers. Remember, I told you every time he he says my brothers, and then couples it with a, a rhetorical question or a, a command, new unit of thought. So here we are. This time it's a negative command. He says that not many of you should become teachers. Uh, James here then refers to himself as a teacher. Leaders in the early New Testament were often re- refer, in the early church were often uh, referred to as either teachers and or elders. There were teachers and elders who led the church. And James here is identifying himself. He's the pastor of a a great church in a great city in Jerusalem. He's Jesus' younger brother. And uh, he's identifying himself. He goes, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Why is this? I read this for myself and I go, "I, I will be judged with greater strictness. Have you ever served in leadership in the church? How many of you teach? Somewhere in our church. Maybe, uh, just raise your hand. You're, you're, You're on the board. You've led a 110 group. You lead a 110 group. You've taught in kids ministry. Maybe you used to be on the board. Maybe you used to teach a class. Maybe you lead something somewhere, somehow. Maybe not even in this church, but in another church. Is that you? Guess what? You should be trembling at this. You will be judged with greater strictness. Even if you haven't taught for 20 years, (laughs) how does your life live it out today? For we all, James goes on, stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. These, These two, they're frightening to me. To know that I have the power of life and death as I stand here and as I teach. And that with one, I, I can say something in one way that brings great life to people. And I can say the exact same thing in another way that would bring devastation to our church. This little, this thing right here, this thing, that thing, it, it, it has the power to, to totally destroy our church. Do you know that? I could, I could unleash and I could destroy our church if I'm not that careful. That's That's humbling. Um, So James starts with leaders, so let's start with leaders. But there's not just leaders, there's leaders, there's teachers, and there's hearers, right? See, but what we're going to find out is while James starts here, he doesn't end here. He actually applies this to all of us. Yeah, there's a greater application maybe if you're a leader or a teacher. And by the way, maybe you're not a leader in the sense of the church, but you're a leader in your home. Uh, you, you teach somewhere in school. If, if, you, if you teach at all, anywhere, in any way, you lead, you have influence anywhere, anyway. your tongue has incredible power even though it's small. And this is a message for you. So let's start with leaders. First thing I would say is you should be slow to become a teacher. Be patient to become one. And let me tell you, as a guy who I believe uh, on a beach in Florida, I know that was rough. That's a rough place, right? But that's my story. That's where I really believe God spoke to me, called me to become a pastor. He had been working in my heart through other men, other pastors of other churches for about a year for my senior year of high school. Went on spring break uh, in college at Iowa State and uh, Panama City Beach. I can still remember who I was sitting with and where I was. And I can just remember making, God making it very clear, hey, you're, you're done with architecture. It's time to go to Chicago, go to Moody. And I got back, and I overnighted my application in the last minute. Um, that's not me at all, is it? You guys know me. I don't. I don't procrastinate anything. I sent it in on the last possible day, overnighted, and uh, the Lord. I, I got accepted to Moody, even though there was a wait list of about 500 students. Somehow, I got in, and uh, God got me in there, and uh, and and taught me and trained me, and I still came out knowing nothing. <laughs> Knowing a lot more about the Bible, but, but less and less about ministry. And, um, it's, it's been a good road, but I'm I'm telling you, it's a hard one. And if you want to be a leader, you want to be a teacher, that's a good thing. That's a noble thing, but be patient about it. I would have probably benefited from not going into ministry right away. Maybe uh, doing some other things for a while or going to grad school or getting more preparation. Um, it's, it's a hard road. Um, don't do it if you're not called, but at the same time, if you're not called, don't, don't buy into the idea that somehow those who teach or lead are super Christians. <laughs> James wants you to know that too. He says, we all stumble in many ways. Instead, you, if you, if you want to be a leader, you want to be a teacher. If you are a leader, make sure that you're a student. You know who the worst leaders are in the world are the ones who quit learning, <laughs> who quit being students. And know this, Here, here's, here's why I think you should be slow. This is uh, things I've learned over time. But sometimes it's curious. God uses young people a lot of times to lead his church and to, to initiate something because a lot of times I think they just don't know as much and they're a little more brash and they're ready to go. Um, but know you'll face greater judgment by God. Have you been a leader in the church? You'll face greater judgment by Jesus Christ one day. Greater judgment. It's Jesus' church. It's not ours. He's the senior pastor. And, and I'm the lead pastor, Josh, so I bear the greatest responsibility here. And that can be a big weight to carry. Leading the church is a great weight. In fact, it's crushing at times. Because my my heart is, and the reason I got into ministry is I saw God had gifted me. I knew that he had worked in my life and called me to it. And I felt like with all my gifting, all my abilities, that's the best thing I could do is use them to serve the Lord in that way. And my heart and my prayer for 14 years here has to be, to be part of a vibrant, growing church that, that puts uh, personal preference aside and says, well, we're moving forward, we're charging forward, we're going to build the kingdom here in as big a way as we can right here because that's where God's planted us and we're gonna let it overflow to the rest of the world, amen? And I just gotta tell you, if we're not gonna be about doing that, then it's time to find a new pastor. I'm not here to tread water. We need to move forward, amen? I'll be judged by God with greater strictness based on how I lead and by how much ground we accomplish and how much we take. And the other thing you learn is that it's not just a judgment, I don't think, by God, but also by people. When you lead and when you teach, you, you, gain, uh, you garner greater criticism not uh, from people. <laughs> you do. You, you get judged more strictly by people. And a lot of times, it's because of stuff I say. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, get, I get judged more harshly because maybe I just say something in a stupid way. And so I'm rightly criticized. And uh, other times, it's because I said something right, but it wasn't heard right. You know what I mean? You, you, anyway, if you've lied in any way, you know what exactly what I'm talking about. And I don't, I don't want to make this about me, but he's talking about leaders. I'm the leader of our church, so it's kind of a natural application just to bring some of those things up, right? Um. You'll be judged more harshly by people, and it, makes, it can make leading. Again, I told you, go for it slowly. It can make it incredibly lonely. Incredibly lonely. So be slow to pursue it. James says, uh, in fact, brothers, we shouldn't all be teachers because we'll be judged with greater strictness. But he, he's talking, he's writing these things not just to the leaders of the church. He's writing it to the church, isn't he? So there's something here, not just for the, the leaders in the church, there's something for everyone in the church to hear. So let's talk about the hearers for a moment, shall we? Because there's teachers and then there's hearers. It's, it's, we're both participating in this together. If you're a hearer, uh, first thing to recognize is James says, what's he say in verse 2? We all what? St- can you say it with me? We all stumble in many ways. We all do. All means, all. Do you know what all means in Greek? The Greek word for all means? It means all. Yeah. <laughs> it means all of us. Every one of us. Paul said it, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all sin. We're all messed up. None of us get it right. We all. This is James' same way of saying that. We all stumble in many ways. I'm just telling you, as a hearer, if you're looking for rocks, I've got a pile of them. <laughs> And you can find them, and they're easy to pick up and throw. But be careful because you have rocks too piled up. And what James is saying is uh, why don't you just drop the rocks? <laughs> drop them. We all stumble in many ways. Recognize that as a hero, we, we all stumble. Um, I think in some ways, James is echoing again his older brother, right? Uh, It it reminds me, this illustration of like a pile of rocks of ways that I've stumbled uh, that I could easily be stoned with. Do do you remember uh, Jesus encountering a woman in the Bible who was caught in adultery? And what did all the religious people do with her? They chased her out into the street and they all had rocks. Ready to do what? To stone her. Now, were they, were they wrong in that? I mean, essentially, they weren't wrong. Like, that was, that was punishment in the Old Testament for adultery. They could have rightly stoned her. But what's Jesus do? He steps up, and he's like, um, So, whichever one of you who hasn't sinned, you go ahead and throw the first rock. And one by one, they all drop them. And the one guy who could have thrown a rock didn't have one in his hand, did he? Jesus. James is saying, loved ones, drop the rocks. It'd be really easy for us just to to criticize one another and to go after one another. Drop the rocks. Yeah, they've got a pile, but so do you. Drop them. Know that we all stumble in many ways. And James here, he's talking especially with our tongues. Look what he says. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a, what kind of man is he? Perfect. You know a perfect man. Wives, how many would you say your husband's perfect? You love him a lot. Oh, my, right here, we got one. But yeah, if, if you, listen. In other words, James is saying, listen, no one's immune from this. We've all said stupid things in the wrong way at the wrong time. We've all stumbled. So show, so show grace. Sometimes I misspeak. Sometimes you misspeak. Show grace. Amen? James says we all stumble in many ways. And if, if anyone doesn't stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. He's drawing an illustration from, from a horse here. And, and we're going to talk about that. He's going to go back into that in a second. But uh, one other thing that came to mind this, like thinking about this in terms of, how does this whole passage, and then we're going to unpack all of it, but uh, he, he addresses it first uh, kind of towards leaders and those who want to be leaders. But again, it's read for everyone, so it applies to everyone. So how does this apply just to hearers? Well, I would say this. Uh, make sure you know the difference between being a critic and a coach with your tongue. Do you know what I mean? Uh, the difference between a critic and a coach. Let me let me unpack this a little bit. A coach is different than a critic. See, a, a co- but they're similar because a coach and a critic can say the exact same things, the exact same words, exact same content, and it can be received completely differently depending on when they say it and how they say it. That's the difference is, is, is timing and tone. See, if, if the critic... Wants to win the point. They want to win the argument. I'm right. The coach wants to win the person. I love you. The critic wants to win the point. The coach wants to win the person. Know the difference. Um, Critics, uh, and by the way, before you get people in mind who you have in each category, you've been in each category. (laughs) I've been in each category, right? So, so guard your tongue and know where you're at. The, the critic does this. The critic wants to win the point and win the argument. So comments are often harsh in tone. The, the critic wants to make their comments in a public setting so that everyone can hear and everybody else can pile on. The critics wait until you're vulnerable and then they pounce. Their goal is to make sure everyone else is invited to criticize you and pounce on and join in their argument. Um, and so oftentimes, too, then they'll gossip about what they criticize you about. And every one of us has done it. We've all sinned in many ways with our tongues. We've all been the critic. But by God's grace, let's be the coach. Here's the coach. The coach, on the other hand, doesn't want to win the argument. They don't want to be right. They want to be in relationships. They want to win the person. The coach, rather than wait until you're vulnerable, they look for the times that you're teachable. Rather than crush you with their words and gossip about you, they, they want to protect you from criticism. They want to protect you so that your heart remains soft, so that you grow. You know, I, and I think all of us, like, like you, can, you know, when, when the critic comes at you, they're like, I want to talk to you. You're like, oh, what do I do now? But the coach comes and, hey, can we talk? Yeah, what you, well, let's let's talk over here. I love you. Here's this, you know. We've all been the critic. Let's be coaches. And this this, this metaphor reminds me, um, and the reason is we've all stumbled in many ways. Being the critic is really easy. Being the coach is really hard and messy. When I was in college, you know what my summer job was? For three years in college, four years maybe, I guess. It took me five to graduate. So four years, four summers, because I transferred. Um. I ran the Little League baseball program in my hometown, small town, not unlike Milford in Iowa. And I oversaw everything from uh, kindergarten T-ball, or actually maybe like first grade, second grade T-ball, whatever it was, all the way up through eighth grade, boys and girls. And I was like, I was the commish. And so I I lined up uh, all the games. And uh, in my town... um, uh, around here, a lot of times teams play each other in the same town. Well, we every team was a travel team. Like you traveled all over, no matter what what age level, no matter how good or bad you were, you traveled. And there was like this league of 10, 11 towns, and we were all together in this league. And uh, so, so I would I'd recruit coaches, I'd hold the draft when I was home on spring break, and, and do all this stuff, you know. And usually, there was a couple different teams at each each grade level for our town. I'd work with other, other leaders of leagues and other towns and coordinate all of this and, um, and, and line up umpires and all this stuff, right? And I umpired too. That was how I made extra money in the summer is I was kind of, I was an umpire. And let me tell you, in Little League Baseball and Softball, there are some parents who are coaches. <laughs> See where I'm going? And there's a lot of parents who are critics, and it is shocking what comes out of the mouth of parents towards their own children. And they don't recognize that with that tongue, they have the power to build up their child or to crush them. And it takes some patience to be a coach. Because the coach has to be okay with messiness. Especially in peewee baseball. Third, grade, third graders, right? And no offense, ladies, but what's even worse is Pee Wee softball. It was even a slower-moving game. I mean, it's, you, you had to be patient. You had to be okay with the fact that these kids can't hit the ball. You had to be okay with the fact that a strike zone was this big because nobody could hit a real one. <laughs> you had to be okay with kids uh, sitting out in the outfield playing, not in the outfield, first base, playing in the dirt. The critic would yell at them, their mom for their dad, whoever it is, from, from behind me and the stands. Get up! Stand up! Get up! Quit playing in the dirt! Make it a fool of yourself. Really, they meant me. Make it a fool of me. The coach comes alongside them and helps them, doesn't he? The coach is okay with messiness. He's okay with the kid who doesn't know to run to first base first and they run to third first. Are you a <clears throat> critic or a coach? Do you want to be right? Or do you want to be in relationship? Your tongue is where that decision is made. Let's be coaches. Well, now James goes on and he expounds upon the issue of our tongues. And he does this with every issue he brings up. He states it and then he illustrates it multiple times. So uh, I'm going to use uh, three phrases that I'm actually borrowing from a guy by the name of William Varner. And uh, he's a commentator on James and a professor at Master's Seminary. And uh, some of you, if you like this, you'll like it because they're alliterated. They're all the same letters. I usually don't do that. It's a, first off, here's the first thing you see about uh, the tongue in verses 3 through 5 is, number one, it's a small member. It's a small member. James is going to give us three images to see first that our tongue is small, but that it is very powerful. Very powerful. The first image is of a horse. Look at what he says in verse 3. He already kind of hinted at this, that anyone who doesn't sin in what he says is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. He says, verse 3, if if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, uh, we guide their whole bodies as well. There's a picture here coming up on the screen of a bit. It's just small. There's different shapes, sizes, things like that, different types, but there's one. If you Google it, you'd find one similar to this. And it's amazing, did you know, that with that little piece of metal, that you can control an animal that is 10, 11, 12 times your size and weighs well over 1,200 pounds. With that little piece. If it's in their mouth, and it, it's hooked up to a harness, you can, you can guide them anywhere you want to go. You can make them step over things. You can make them jump over things. You can lead them anywhere you want to lead them. But as soon as that's removed, you are helpless. From a tiny pony, like Charlie got to ride yesterday at Milford Fest, to a big thoroughbred, right? Uh, that's a powerful little thing, that bit is. And and the, the size of the bit doesn't even matter. There's different sizes, but generally that's just based on the stubbornness of the horse, I've learned. if He's really stubborn, sometimes a little bigger one. Some of you know more about this than I do, so you can correct me. Feel free to yell at me here, even right now. But, but a bigger for a more stubborn horse, or sometimes it's softer and smaller for a horse with a more sensitive mouth or just a, a different temperament. But that little piece can guide the whole animal. Isn't that incredible? James is going to say that our, th- th- there's one thing that's small but powerful. Now he goes on to a second illustration about something small and powerful. He says it's also like a ship and a rudder. Do any of you have a boat? Anybody got a boat? Maybe maybe you got a spot on the lake, you live on the lake, you you uh, you got a boat, you've been on a boat. Um, Do you know how the rudder works? The rudder is this tiny little piece in the back of the boat, or if maybe you have a fishing boat, it's even part, the motor in the back is all the rudder, it's all in one. And that little piece can guide the entire vessel. Well, it's even the same on a large ship. On this ship on the screen, you can see the tiny rudder in the back that guides the whole tanker. James says, look at the ships also. So though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Small but powerful. Uh, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things, James says. So let me give you another analogy. Um, This ship you're going to see on the screen here is called the Bismarck. Anybody familiar with World War II? with history in World War II, the Bismarck was, was one of the most powerful Nazi vessels. And this thing wreaked havoc on the Allies, and especially on Great Britain, and uh, caused uh, shipments to not make it in with sink vessels. In fact, it sunk with, with one shot in 1940. It sunk the HMS Hood, which was the, the, the pride and joy of the Royal, Royal Navy of Great Britain, and it did it with one shot. Like the, was it Tyson and Holyfield? Like it was like one punch and he was down 20 some years ago. Nobody knows, Tim knows what I'm talking about. And it's like, it's just like one shot. Can you imagine? And the the best ship, imagine playing battleship and like one shot, all of your, everything's gone. Just, just one shot is incredibly powerful. This thing stretched 825 feet. And at the time it was the largest battleship in the world. Our church, if you drew a line from the offices to right here, down that way, would be about 300 feet. So stretch that another two times almost. That's the length of this battleship. Um, It was devastating, though, as I said, the people of Great Britain. And Winston Churchill said, I don't care how you do it, but you must sink the Bismarck. And as grand a ship as this was, it had one fatal weakness. It only had one rudder, and it was a small one out by its exhaust, its thermal exhaust. And so one night the, the, the Brits come in and they're going to attack him by night. And uh, a guy, they fly in and this, there's the account, this guy who, who fired this torpedo actually just died last year. Um, and you can read the account online if you Google it. But he talks about it. He comes in and he says, I just had one shot and it was between waves. I fired it. They said, let it go. I let it go. And basically this torpedo hit the rudder of the ship. And then all of a sudden this ship lost incredible power. It just started going around in circles. Most powerful battleship in the world, and all you can do is drive it in a circle. It's like a NASCAR car all of a sudden. (laughs) And uh, it got attacked fiercely and finally sunk. But that little small rudder uh, held all the power. Some of us, we can think, yeah, our lives are big and powerful and in control, and a one slip of the tongue, and the whole thing sinks. Right? That was the Bismarck. James says it's a small member but powerful. So we've seen a, a horse and a bit in its mouth. We've seen a, a ship with its rudder. And then James' third analogy is a forest fire. Have you, when you were little, did you ever set something on fire accidentally? Did you ever do that? Did you ever play with fire, guys? Anybody? I did. It's fun, right? It's fun. You light something on fire, oh, it's burning. This is cool. It's fun until something you don't want to catch on fire catches on fire with what you set on fire. And instead of, uh, I don't speak, I'm not going to keep going. Something you set on fire gets caught on fire, right? Well, James says your tongue is like that. um, Because you accidentally set something on fire with it. So also, he says, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. And how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. With a little word, with the wrong comment, at the wrong time, in the wrong tone, you could cause a great blaze. Especially someone who's teaching, like me, or like Pastor Kirk, or Pastor Dan, or somebody on the board could quickly say something that could destroy our church. Or if not destroy our church, destroy people in our church. See, but here's the deal. Do you notice for each of these, is it really the bit that controls the horse? I mean, the bit does, right? But really, who is it that's controlling the horse? Well, it's either the rider or the person leading the horse by the bit. The bit's just the tool from which their will is imposed. And how about the ship? Does, does the rudder? Is the rudder actually the thing controlling the ship? No, look, the the rudder controls it based on the will of the pilot, James writes. Wherever the pilot wants it to go, he's the one in control. Well, see, with your tongue, it's not your, this isn't the problem, right? That's not the problem. It's your heart. Because your tongue reveals your heart. What does Jesus say? Does he say, from the overflow of the tongue, the mouth speaks? No, he says, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What you say, how you say it, when you say it, you might think you're proving yourself to be right. Really, you're revealing your heart. It reveals your heart. And what James goes on to say then, verses 6 through 8, he uh, will continue with our alliteration here. It's a savage monster. The tongue is. See, look at verse 6. He carries on the idea of the fire. And the tongue is a fire. It is a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members. And it's, it can stain the whole body. Stain the whole body. Setting on fire the entire course of life. And set on fire by hell. Here's what, here's what Pastor James has to say, he says, "How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire?" Well, it's just a little thing. It was just—it just one comment. It was just—I uh, didn't—that wasn't my intent. I just—I uh, just—I just said it because that's what I thought. And 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 by the way, what I said isn't wrong. It's right. Yeah, but but look at the blaze you started. What a blaze is set. By such a small fire. And he says the tongue is set among our members. He says it's a world of unrighteousness. It's set among our members. It's staining the whole body. This small member controlling the whole body. Setting on fire the entire course of life. And set on fire by what? What is it? Say it again. What is it? By by hell. You're like, ah, but I'm a Christian. I'm not going to hell. But guess what? You can unleash hell on other people. With your tongue. That's what James is saying. I looked up the biggest forest fire in the history of the United States. You know what it was? It was, um, there's some debate, but this is one of them for sure. I don't even know if I'm going to say this right. It was the Pestigo Fire in northern Wisconsin. It, in, in the late 1800s, it burned 1.2 million acres. That's roughly... Uh, um, Uh, 1,900 square miles, roughly the size, double the size of Rhode Island. In other words, if you drew a line roughly from Elkhart to Warsaw to Fort Wayne to Angola and created a box, all of that burned to a crisp. Uh, It killed around 1,500 people. This was in the late 1800s, so 140, 150 years ago when population wasn't as dense. Um, in Upper Wisconsin and into the in northern Wisconsin, into the upper peninsula of Michigan. From October, here's here's what I found. From October 8th to 14th, 1871, this fire burned and exploded. Some reports would indicate that people sought refuge in the rivers. And some reports even indicate it was so hot that people boiled alive in the rivers. I found it online. I don't know how much that's true, but it's possible, right? Um Do you think the person who started that fire intended all of that? That wasn't my intent. I just, I needed something to eat. I was cold. I needed a fire. Um, I didn't think that would happen. What a blaze is set forth by our tongues, loved ones. The smallest words said in the wrong way at the wrong time, even if they're right. And unleash hell on people. The word used for hell here is the Greek word Gehenna. It's a translation of the Hebrew uh, Gehinnom. And it refers to the Hinnom Valley. The only, the only two people in the New Testament. It never shows up other, anywhere other than either from Jesus or from James. And what Gehenna was, is there's, there's other words for hell in the New Testament and in Greek. Uh, Hades, right? Uh, lake of fire, things like that. But the only two people who use this are Jesus and his younger brother here, James. Gehenna was, um, there was a, the Valley of Hinnom, the Hinnom Valley, just on the south side of the ancient city of Jerusalem. Um, uh, there was all kinds of great wickedness that happened here in this place. And, and in this place, eventually, long story short, what happens is uh, the people of Jerusalem decide that's going to be our dump. <laughs> and so they just put all their refuse into this valley. And what would often happen is that uh, uh, the refuse would catch fire and there would be fires in Gehenna burning day and night all the time. And at being a dump, there was worm, and there was maggot, and there was all kinds of stuff. And they'd be burned up by the fire. Well, well it came to be a place where these fires would burn. And, and Jesus, uh, in Mark chapter 9, verse 48, refers to hell, Gehenna. Uh, not, not just that Gehenna, but the true hell where uh, their worm does not die. And the fire is not quenched. And he draws on this this figure here um, that the tongue can unleash a fire that sometimes is unquenchable and unreversible, I believe. Be careful what you say. Amen? He goes on, he says, and it's a savage monster because every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Who we went to the circus? Right? See all kinds of animals tamed by mankind. But but he says, no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. You might be able to tame an elephant and get on it and ride it around, get it to stand on one leg, but What's amazing is you can't control your mouth. It's a restless evil. And then uh, finally, he goes on this third piece. It's a, and I actually changed the alliteration here, and so it's an impossible mixture. Originally I had subtle mixture, but I changed it because it just subtle doesn't really work. It's impossible, according to James. Look at what he says in verses 9 through 12. For with it, with our tongue, we, we bless our Lord and our Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness and image of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And he says, My brothers, this ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can you get the same thing from the faucet? James didn't have like the fancy Coke machines where you can dial up like one of 800 different types of cola, right? That all came from the same faucet. No, it was either salt water or fresh water. And they don't come from the same spring. Can a fig tree, verse 12, my brothers, can it bear olives? How about a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. See, James closes here and he, he... He says our tongues, it's an impossible mixture. Because, yeah, we all stumble. We sin in some way, shape, or form. But it's just incredible what we do with the same tongue. We bless God. We're in here. We're going to sing praises to God. And then when we walk out, we'll curse one another. It shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. Go home over lunch, and what's the conversation? Well, the singing was good, but I didn't like this guy. I hope today, at least, that doesn't happen. See, what he's talking about here is our very nature. The, the nature of a fig tree is not to produce olives. <laughs> the nature of an apple tree is not to produce oranges. It's to produce apples. And, and if I plant a tree in my yard, I said this last week, I think, right? And it grows, and I don't know what kind of tree it is, but all of a sudden it starts popping out apples. And I go, oh, oh what, a, what a wonderful orange tree someone gave me. No. You know what kind of tree it is by its what? By its fruit. Jesus is, or James is saying here that your tongue reveals your very nature. Listen, are you always critical? Are you always the one who has to have the last word? Are you always the one with a sharp thing to say? Then James is saying... Um, you better examine your heart because the nature of a christian who's really been changed by the gospel is not to spew forth salt water all the time but fresh water and water of life what comes from your mouth it reveals your heart oh but that's just how i am that's how i've always been i just i speak my mind yeah we know and we're very concerned we say it jokingly, but isn't it true? How do you speak that way all the time and claim to follow Jesus and worship him on Sunday? And you know what? You could say the same thing to me because there's been times in my life where I've been the critic. By God's grace, I'm growing. I'm kind of quit posting stuff on Twitter and Facebook. That's been a big change. That's been a big help. Not my tongue, but my thumbs, right? Maybe James would talk about the power of your thumbs. Um, here's the final question. And you, you need to examine it because I can't see your heart. I can only see mine. And I know that like James says, I stumble in many ways. I've got a big pile of rocks. What does your heart reveal? What does your tongue, excuse me? What does your tongue reveal about your heart? It's the question for you this week. Let's guard our tongues. Let's be coaches, not critics. Amen? Good spot for an amen. Amen? Amen. amen. Let me pray. Uh, we're going to sing, and then we're going to call it a morning. Let's sing, Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus and for your grace to us. Um, Lord, I know I've sinned with what I've said before to people, and even, even just with my thoughts, what I've said to them in my head. I thank you that you're quick to forgive me of those things, but I, I'm more thankful that you're also changing me. And your concern is not just that I wouldn't say them, but that I'd never even think them, that, that you would make my nature totally new. And by your grace, you're doing that. Pray for each of us, Lord. Um, we talked about it earlier. I didn't really talk about it in my message. We skirted around it, but, but, but last week and everything that happened is the opportunity uh, for a lot of division in our church. Uh, the opportunity for a lot of things to be said with our tongues in in emotion that would be painful and hurtful and divide your church. Holy Spirit, help us to repent, to not do that, to not go down that road, but instead to continue on mission and to continue serving you and loving you and growing your church here through us. Thanks for your grace to me and your patience with me. And to all of us, help us be patient with one another. Lord, we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.